Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. On C103. And a very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Let me stay with the weather because there is a high pressure system is going to dominate our weather over the coming weeks. It's going to bring lots of dry weather, lots of settled conditions and temperatures are going to go up. They could even exceed 20 degrees next weekend, according to Met Aaron. Now, Met Aaron saying, saying, while it won't be bucket and spade weather for all of the week, because there's going to be a lot of cloud cover and that's going to stop the sun uh, breaking through. Uh, conditions though are going to be perfect if you're planning on doing anything in the garden, if you fancy a barbecue or if you need to do any DIY chores outside of the house this is the week to do it and it will get better and better as we go across the week and the week will end on a dry and a warm note Good spells of sunshine expected to develop on Friday and into the weekend. And that's where the temperatures are going to go up. They certainly will be in the high teens, but they could go into the low 20s in some areas next weekend. Bring it on. 0818 103 103. John Paul has taken a couple of days off. Bernie is sitting in. So Bernie's taking your calls this morning. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And anyone who finds themselves in the squeezed middle whenever we are talking on the programme about increases for pensioners or increases in social welfare we will inevitably get a flurry of texts and calls in from listeners saying we're the ones that get up early every morning go out to work and we never seem to get anything if you're not on a social welfare uh, payment there never seems to be any increases or if there are increases uh, they are on the small side well uh, according to uh, reports across the weekend and they are in the papers today Fine Gael wants to give a tax break of at least a thousand euro a year and this will be for workers that they are saying are on the average household uh, income and of course it's important that Fine Gael are talking about it now because coalition talks on the budget are about to begin. The budget, of course, will happen in October. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar's party is pushing for considerably larger cuts to income tax, also cuts to something that's absolutely hated, the universal social uh, charge, and they want more cuts 
than what have been in place in previous years. And of course, if they're looking at doing it, never a better time. There is record budget surpluses and they're being projected over the next four years. Any tax breaks for workers will ultimately, obviously, it is a coalition, so it'll have to be approved by the Fine Gael uh, Minister, Micheál Martin, and obviously the Green uh, Party. And of course, certainly the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, he is going to be facing unprecedented demands from ministers across all of the coalition parties. All of the different departments are going to be looking for major tax and spending uh, measures. We There's a projected budget surplus of £10 billion for this year and that rises to £16 billion next year. But writing for the Irish Independent today are three Fine Gael junior ministers. It's Jennifer Carroll, McNeil, Martin Hayden and Peter Burke and collectively the three are arguing that tax relief in the next budget they say has been well earned and it should go further than the tax breaks that have been given to people in the previous two budgets. They also point out that a thriving economy means more resources for the exchequer at every budget, which obviously then allows the government to put more money back in people's pockets, especially at a time uh, when people are struggling with the cost of living crisis and to give, they actually use the words, the squeezed middle a break. They say, while we need to consider inflation, while we need to consider wages, tax relief in the next budget has been well earned. They suggest a full-time worker on the average wage of 52,000 should get a tax break. They reckon of more than a thousand euro when it's announced in the budget in October. And they're saying that would be an extra thousand euro in people's pockets after uh, taxes. They're saying those who may not qualify for state supports but still strive to do the best for their families and to build up their own fortunes. These are the people that work hard and these are the people that feel they pay for everything. The junior ministers feel they need and deserve a break, including through a package of tax reforms, which results then in a meaningful amount of extra money in people's uh, pockets. And Leo Varadkar is also understood to endorse the call from these three of his own junior ministers. He was speaking on national radio at the weekend and he once again said he wanted middle income people to pay less income tax and noting that the coalition has raised the band already. You don't pay the higher rate now until you hit 40,000. But he says, I don't like people on average incomes paying the higher rate of income tax. He said, I don't like to see people losing half of any pay increase they might get or half of any overtime. It all goes on income tax. So he says when he was pushed then as to what way we should do it, because of course he's the one who's always been advocating for a middle, a 30% band of tax. He says he doesn't really mind how they do it. He said whether they increase the band from 40,000 to a higher figure are you introduce a middle rate of tax he said he's not really hung up on how, how we do it as long as we do it so could finally that squeezed middle that I say we have a lot of them listening to us in the programme because we're always hearing from on, on the programme will the squeezed middle and those working families who are working so hard will they finally get a break in the October budget 0818 103 103 lines are open Bernie's taking calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 
103103. Loads of ways for you to win on C103 and especially on this programme this week. Of course, we've got that wonderful competition uh, kicking off to go to see Rod Stewart not once but uh, twice. That's kicking off from today. You're listening out every time you hear a Rod Stewart song. Uh, you got to uh, get a texting or WhatsApp in to be in with your chance to win 0862103103. And then on the programme, we've teamed up with the Irish Heart Foundation and every day this week, we will be giving away a Fitbit Inspire 3. There, We want to get everyone as fit as possible and we're tying this all in with High blood pressure, for example, did you know that two and three people over the age of 50 have high blood pressure, but only half of them are actually aware of it. So we're going to be putting a lot of focus on high blood pressure this uh, week. So we're giving away a daily prize of a Fitbit and then our five daily prize winners go into a hat. And on Friday, somebody gets a 250 euro voucher for Hotel Kilkenny. So you can go and relax. And hopefully if you do suffer from high blood pressure, we'll be able to relax your high blood pressure uh, a little bit. We will be inviting call us to air on this one you're going to have to join me on air we'll have a clock that will go for 15 seconds and you'll have to name five items I'll give you what items you'll have to have to name we'll keep it nice and easy I promise you that and then the Mallow Homes and Gardens Festival really talking about what the weather forecast is going to be next weekend and it looks like it is going to be stunning for this year's Mallow Home and uh, Garden uh, Festival which runs right across next weekend and we have have daily prizes to give away. No, sorry, we have a daily qualifier who at the end of the week then we will have an overall prize of a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint. It's with a paint consultant. Now the paint consultant comes out to your house to help you pick your colour scheme um, which is a, which is something we can all do. It's very hard sometimes when you're trying to decide on a colour. We'll give you details of how you can enter and be in with the chance of winning that top prize on uh, Friday. And the Mallow Home and Garden Festival runs 26th, 27th and uh, 28th of May. Kicks off next Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And last week on the programme, we were talking about winning with regard to prize bonds. And we had people, I think it was actually it was the money doctor, John Lowe. He always puts forward that if people have money, rather than let it sit in the bank, making little or nothing in interest, he always suggests to people that you invest in prize bonds. And he said, he said, many of his clients who've had wonderful wins on the prize bond and they look forward every Tuesday because it's on a Tuesday that the letters go out to people's houses to say that you've won some uh, money. So that led us to start talking about prize bonds and inevitably causing from people saying I never won anything. I've had them for years or I had a small win, won nothing since. And I made the point that whenever we talk about prize bonds and people not winning on prize bonds, inevitably some of our listeners will get the letter through the post to say they've won. That's usually small amounts, but it's almost like we put it out there. <laughs> and we send a little bit of luck somebody's way. Lo and behold, Jim from Clonakilty was one of the people who contacted us last week to say he has a number of prize bonds and he hasn't won anything for years. And on Tuesday morning, what happens? Letter through his letterbox. That was a small win, but it was a win is a win. Say he'd won fifty euro, so he contacted us. And you know he's a decent sod, is our Jim in Clonakilty. He says he's going to donate it to a charity. He hasn't won in so long, and it was just the fact we were talking about it and whether we jinxed his win, which would be great to think that we did. So he is donating it to charity, which I think is a really generous thing to do. Well done, Jim. And then on Friday, don't I get an email? from the prize bonds to say that they had their draw on Friday. They hold a draw on 
Friday then obviously the letters go out on, on Monday and then they arrive in people's letterbox on a Tuesday. Keep a look out here in Cork for a letter to arrive tomorrow because one Cork person hopefully it's a Cork person they may have bought the prize bond for somebody else but a prize bond that was purchased here in County Cork in 2020 so a relatively recent one on Friday that number came out and the it won the top prize last Friday of €50,000 so somebody here in Cork will be getting a letter tomorrow to say they have won fifty thousand euro so we'll all keep our fingers crossed particularly if you bought a prize bond in 2020 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Now, fly tipping and illegal dumping is a major problem nationwide and every help must be given to local authorities to try to stamp it out. So, people will be disappointed to hear that councils can still not use CCTV in order to catch the perpetrators raising his concerns. Is Labour Doll Deputy for Cork East, uh, Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Sean, I thought a law was passed sometime last year to cover the GDPR issues to use CCTV, particularly for waste enforcement cases. That's right, Patricia. Uh, The Circular Economy Act was passed last year, and that allows for local authorities uh, to use a section of that act uh, to be able to use CCTV. But in order for them to be able to do that, they have to come up with what they call a code of practice. And that code of practice then needs to be cleared by the Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications in order for, uh, in order to give effect to the eligibility of any local authority to be able to use uh, CCTV. So my understanding is as yet not all of the local authorities have come up with their codes of practice and until such time as they do, then local authorities can't use CCTV. Oh, and, it, and what's frustrating is many councils will know where the litter black spots are, but they need to have the evidence, don't they? I mean, they, they can't have somebody there permanently waiting to catch the person. They need the evidence. Well, you can't deploy... There aren't enough people in local authorities to be able to deploy people at very site-specific or sensitive sites where, you know, which, which are the sites that we all know about. And... In the absence of that, the use of CCTV is a very effective tool uh, to prevent people from fly tipping in the first place uh, or dumping rubbish indiscriminately. But I do believe that if the local authorities, and I'm talking about not just Cork, but, but others as well, because it's a, it's a countrywide problem and it's a perennial problem and it's the subject of discussions in TG's offices, it's the subject of discussions in workplaces, and, and the subject of discussions on shows like your own, uh, where, you know, everybody wants this tackled and stamped out. And if we can give the local authorities the tools uh, to be able to do that, certainly the Circular Economy Act has, has is effective in that sense because it allows you to be compliant with uh, GDPR rules around the use of CCTV. And uh, all you need to do is to come up with your code of practice. That needs to be okayed by the department. And until such time as you do that, then local authorities can't use CCTV. And, and of course, I would, uh, I, many will say, listening to you, uh, Sean, that if you're breaking the law by fly tipping, you give up your GDPR rights. Well, that is true. Uh, I, 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 I would, 
you know, that would be a personal view of mine that you give up your GDPR rights. However, what you don't want is a situation where somebody, like if the law of the land and if we're transposing EU legislation which has been agreed by the European Commission, the European Parliament and the European Council of Ministers and if an agreement has been made to transpose a law that has been passed in Brussels into Irish law what you don't want is a situation where somebody then takes a test case against you you and then all of a sudden before you know the the person who may have been guilty of an offence in terms of you know dumping rubbish indiscriminately might find themselves in front of a court or take a case where it's a test case against their GDPR rights. So I think I think everybody has the GDPR rights and they have to be applied universally. But what we want here is, a, is the, the tools to be able to stamp it out in those areas where we know it's taking place. You almost know who's actually carrying it out because yeah, we're yeah. all close to our communities. That's we all true. Know and people, people know know who owns that particular van who who, who dumped it but they can't Absolutely. catch them in the act. And it, like it's not only unfair on the local councils and obviously you know when the local council have to go out and clean it up it's not a victim it's cl- crime we all end up paying for it through our taxes but it's hugely unfair to tidy towns groups who work so hard. Well it's hugely unfair to tidy towns groups and it's hugely unfair to each and every one of us as citizens who want to enjoy what I call public spaces and public realm areas. And, you know, the idea that you and I would be compliant, that we have our bins or, or that we, in the absence of not having bins, we might use our civic community sites to bring our rubbish to and so on. And they're excellent facilities and very well-run facilities and we're lucky to have them. But, you know, the idea that, you know, People are just not compliant. And this culture, this behaviour that allows people to continue persistently to to think that they can get away with this. And they know they can get away with it because they know that they can't be actively monitored. And that's why I think if we're going to be serious about tackling this, you know, there's ways of deploying mobile CCTV now for monitoring, uh, you know, either permanently or on a temporary basis. Uh, where they're, say, for instance, in public areas, public spaces run by local authorities, and there's a way of doing that. But I think that if if the codes of practice are are given to uh, the department by the local authorities, then I think what we need to do is we need to look at funding for local authorities as well, because you can't have a situation where there are resource constraints on local authorities, because the capital cost for a for a camera would be quite it's, high. Yeah, so we yeah. need to. We need to be able to support that as well. Yep. And you're right to go back to your question. Like it is, you know, grossly unfair. But but it's down to the simple things like somebody indiscriminately dumping, uh, you know, the can out the window or even the cigarette butt. You know, you know, it's it, it's all rubbish, and somebody has to come along afterwards and pick it up. And it's just not fair on those people who are volunteers and on local authority staff as well. Yeah, we so all we all have a role to play uh, for sure. Just on a different uh, topic, Sean, I saw you raise last week that some parents in North Cork have no certainty about school places for their children with special needs. What what's going on here? Well, I've been contacted by a, a number of. Uh, parents over the last while who are worried that their children who have uh, additional needs do not have access to uh, special classes within their own community. So I was prompted to raise this in the doll with Minister Mary Butler uh, last week uh, because I, I just want to ensure that, you know, at such at a time when there is such a focus on uh, disabilities and access to services, and we spend a lot of time now advocating on behalf of families who need access, that we do have 
enough places for children in September. So, now, I was glad that the Minister, in response to my query, came back and said to me that, you know, they are creating, the government is creating 328 new special classes throughout the country, and that there will be 71 for Cork, you know, that there will be 53 primary school uh, classes and uh, 18 post-primary school. And then if you extrapolate out then from that, that there'll be 15, uh, you know, uh, 11 classes provided in North Cork uh, at primary level and four at post-primary level. Now, I, my fear is that that won't be enough to meet demand. However, it, you know, by virtue of the fact that we've been advocating for this, it seems to be a step in the right direction. But I do think fundamentally, Patricia, that there is a case to be made now for a special school uh, in North Cork. And the reason I'm saying that is because the minister recently announced that there will be a special school in Rochestown and one for Carritool. But I do believe that, you know, even though these schools will be created, uh, that there will not be sufficient places for people in North Cork and such that they'll be required to travel to places like Cork City from North Cork to Rochestown from North Cork and Carritool from North Cork. And and I just think that we need additionality in North Cork now. And like we have when, the Holy Family School, but I mean that's full to capacity. The, you see, the Holy Family School, from what I from what I can see, is oversubscribed. Yeah, and it provides an excellent service, and we know that. And I do think that there is a capacity now for an additional school, or at least that the work should be uh, done to uh, assess whether or not there is a, a, a demand. But the anecdotally, based on the number of parents that come to me looking for services, you know, the, the case I feel could be made uh, for, an addi- for additionality in North Cork. And the Department of Education will always say to me, well, the demographics won't allow for that. But you can't measure in demographics what a child's future will look like when a child is born in terms of their uh, needs uh, you know their additional needs if they are if there is a diagnosis and and these are issues that can't be you can't project forward for those needs so I think if the capacity is built out in North Cork for additionality of services uh, and I, I think that would go a long way to providing some alleviation and a, and a very stressful yeah. time for parents if they're sitting not knowing if their child is going to have a school place in September and, and this is the point so we're still in it's a bit like it, Coming, flying into Cork Airport and being told that you're in a holding pattern, but you're in the holding pattern for an hour, you know, and there's that uncertainty as to when, when are we going, you know you're going to land, but yeah. where are you going to land and when are you going to land, uh, or, or when are you going to land, I should say. Now, I, I'm taking a little bit of solace from the fact that there are, you know, 11 new classrooms being designated for North Cork. But what we now have to do, what people like me as a public representative and TD has to do now is to ensure that there's a follow-through on that, such that the families that are contacting me will be able to, will find themselves with one of those places for their their children. Okay, keep us updated on that. And just on another point, I saw you quoted, it's the story that's making the front page of the examiner uh, today and it's to do with um, how frontline staff at Cork University Hospital are questioning why PricewaterhouseCooper consultants have earned fees which can run to more than a million, particularly at a time when services are really stretched, you know, and what's quoted in the paper today during from just October to December of last year, over 600,000 was paid for consultancy fees to PwC. Now, that would have corresponded at, at a time when 
CUH were facing some of their longest waits and we were breaking all kinds of records, some of the longest waits for a bed anywhere in the country. It's it's hard to justify it, isn't it? I, I can't. I, I don't see how the HSC or CUH can justify the spend of 600,000 on outside consultants for advices around management processes when you have waiting lists not improving, when you have, a, a, you know, within CUH, still what I would call a crisis within accident or acute medicine and uh, accident and emergency medicine. And I've always, it's a bit like the disability issue. Another issue that I work on quite quite often is, is the whole issue of how taxpayers' money is spent and trying to get transparency around how the taxpayer's money is spent on what I call consultancy services. And I'm not talking about consultants who, who deliver medicine for people. I'm talking about consultants who are management consultants who the HSE bring in via the hospital structures for advices on management processes. It's an astronomical amount of money. And if you think about the fact that you and I are talking today about children who can't get access to school places, you know, there's a juxtaposition there between that kind of scenario for taxpayers and the scenario where taxpayers are shelling out a fortune to these people who we don't know who they are except the names of the, the companies above the door and what are we getting uh, for in return? Yeah, because the, the big question to be asked is, you know, how is the public benefiting from all of this advice? Where's the evidence that they've benefited? And that's why I'm calling for more transparency around how much money the HSE and the South South West Hospital Group and all of these publicly funded organisations can spend hundreds of thousands, and it's gone into the millions now. We have spent millions on outside consultancy as taxpayers uh, providing advices into public services, where you would have imagined that if people are in the public service in the first instance, that they should have the skill set and be tooled up to be able to deliver the service. Why are we going out to private entities, spending a fortune, and getting little or nothing that I can see of value in return. And I I, I, I think there needs to be more transparency around that. OK, we leave, we leave it there, uh, Sean. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks Thank uh, for joining us. And, and, and I think a lot of people, if you, get, if you pick up the Irish Examiner today, will be really taken aback to hear that that kind of money is spent on management uh, consultants. I mean, over 600,000 just in the three months up to uh, Christmas, a huge sum of money at a time when we had some of the longest waiting lists for beds in the country at uh, CUH. So I think Sean Sherlock is right to uh, challenge and find out how exactly is that money being spent and what sort of advice are we getting and is the service better because of all of that advice from the experts 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 Talk to me. Cork Today on C103. Now, last Saturday, a bus left West Cork with 25 patients who travelled up and down to Belfast in the one day in order to have pre-op assessments for things like knee and hip replacements. Why are we forcing so many desperate people to undergo such a journey in order to access medical procedures to see if private hospitals could be used locally? I'm joined by Jim Daly, who is Chief Executive of the Private Hospitals Association. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, it's great to talk to you. Now, the HSE signed national deals with private hospitals during the pandemic. 
Could similar deals not be signed now, particularly with the soaring number of patients who were on waiting lists and, of course, we had the add-on of operations cancelled? Uh, they can, is the short answer, and they should, is the other answer to that, uh, Patricia. And that is the solution to the the problems that lie. I mean, the problem with the health service at the moment is capacity. There are not enough beds, there are not enough theatres, there are not enough procedure rooms uh, in the public system to deal with the demand. Uh, the private system has, before COVID, always existed in kind of a parallel universe to the public system and never the twain shall meet. I think the public system was very much focused in on itself as the, the delivery of healthcare in Ireland and the private system was seen as kind of some outside relation that existed, as I say, in, maybe in parallel with it. Whereas COVID threw both systems together in a very much a need most basis. Uh, I would have often made the point that uh, in, during COVID, I think the private hospital system bailed out the state while the state had to bail out every other single sector almost in the um, during that pandemic mm. period, whereas the private hospital uh, system came to the, the rescue of the state in that awful period and provided it with the capacity it needed, otherwise it would have literally keeled over. And I always make the point it was done on a very strict cost recovery basis only. In other words, the private hospitals did not want to or attempt to make a profit from it. It was done on a strict cost recovery basis to assist the state in that time of need. So I think the lessons from that, Patricia, are, and they did get a deal together and they did, you know, safety net agreement was agreed between the public and private health system. And at the end of the day, as as you referenced there, people travelling outside the state for health, uh, people don't mind where they have the procedure done. They, they're not interested in the governance that underpins the hospital structure, whether it's a public or a voluntary or a not-for-profit or a, you know what kind of a hospital it is, as long as it provides good, high standard of medical care and the private hospital system certainly does that. And so far this year, as was announced last week, 85,000 operations and procedures cancelled. Now, that's just uh, so far this year. So those waiting lists are only going to continue to grow. Yeah, I mean, you, first of all, you have to try and catch up the standstill. And then you have all those waiting lists there forever and a day. We're not even able to just keep things standing still. We're, the, the waiting lists are growing, as you're pointing to there. So, like, there's a really urgent need for the state, I think, to um, really negotiate with the private sector a deal very, very quickly because there is spare capacity within the private sector. But not only that, more importantly, the private sector is very willing to stand up and be counted in this um, crisis, if you like. And we will scale up, we will build on additional theatres, we will build on endoscopy units, we will bring in, there are such things as modular theatre units, which is like theatres that are in a a mobile uh, facility that can be landed in the back of any hospital or on the premises of any hospital. Uh, We can do all of that very, very quickly, but what we do need from the state to do that is we need a line of sight of what they want. In other words, I mean, the private hospitals are underpinned by people who finance and investors and so on and so forth, or budgets that they they have to invest in these additions. They do need kind of something from the state to say, look, you know, over the next three years, we will want or we will purchase so much capacity from you. Whereas at the moment, um, Ireland, unfortunately, runs, as you know, I know from my previous work, uh, it, run, it runs very much on an annualised basis from year to year and they have a budget for each and every year and they can't really see beyond that year. But you can't deliver healthcare on that basis, uh, particularly when we're looking for additional capacity. 
And the public sector can, of course, build on that capacity. They have plans to do so, but it takes them two, three, four times as long as the private system. The private system would deliver additional capacity. Literally, in, in six months, we would have uh, seriously scaled up if we got a commitment from the state that we need X amount of work over that period of time. And as you and I both know, Patricia, and your listeners will know, uh, the demand is not going anywhere. And it's not going to change. There's, you know, still, uh, that's yeah. only increasing. Yeah, the, exactly. The demand is only increasing. And if people have to wait excessive periods of time, are they get an appointment uh, cancelled for a procedure or an operation? Doesn't that only lead to more emergency presentations? It's almost like a vicious cycle. It is. It is, unfortunately, because healthcare is one of those issues that gets progressive. And if somebody, you know, if something can stand, start out as a minor ailment and a minor problem but if it's left untreated or in a timely manner it may often be diagnosed but not treated uh, then that can only get worse and particularly if people get older and more frail and there could be more complications around people's care so really access to care is what we're talking about um, and we need people to have access to care as quickly and as timely as possible and I cannot for the life of me understand in any universe how when you have a private health system and a public health system side by side, they should be working hand in glove together to provide a unified ecosystem of care that everybody can access in a timely manner. And there should not be an ideological, which has often been the case, coming from both um, politicians and from media and so on, where, oh, you know, private health care is, is not as um, ideal and is not as uh, agreeable to us as public. All healthcare should be public. You know, we don't have time for that type of ideology at this stage, in my humble opinion. I think needs must. Uh, we all are here on planet for a short time. And I think we deserve to have access to the care for ourselves and for our loved ones in a timely manner. And it's high time that the state and the private sector worked together, as they do in so many other sectors, very, very well. I think it's high time that they did it. Yeah, uh, and the, and as we sa- said at the outside, it said we've proved that it can work because it worked during during the pandemic. And I mean, we're out of the winter uh, months. Uh, now really is the time to try to work through waiting lists, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the, the private system, I must say, I'm, I'm waited over 12 months now, Patricia, is very, very impressive in how it organised itself and what it can do at short notice. It's very, very efficient on what it does and deliver. And I mean, if they just get any bit of notice for even next winter, if the, if the HFE were in a position to tell the private hospital system what they require for next winter, we will, as I say, scale up. We will even scale up. We may have some beds that are, you know, transitional care or more lower acute care. We will employ doctors. We will employ additional consultants. We will employ whatever it takes. We dare, We are there genuinely with a willingness to help the state if they so require. But that does require the state to get it back together and kind of just identify what it needs and tell us over, not over the next, like what typically happens is when there's an emergency and everybody is clamouring in January over the trolleys, then they come cap in hand to the private sector, have you capacity, we need capacity, we need more beds. We can't really continue to operate on that basis because it's too short term. We need a more medium term strategic approach where the public system tells us what it needs and we will provide it and we're very, very happy to scale up and add on And be ready. And be ready. Okay. And and finally, I mean, does it frustrate you to see and hear about patients travelling to private hospitals in uh, Belfast and indeed they go overseas when we have private hospitals that can do a lot of these procedures? Yeah, it it, it does. It does. I mean, you know, first of all, I mean, it is 
it is a bit high risk really for anybody to go outside of the, their own local area uh, to have any kind of these procedures done, uh, particularly the more higher acuity like knees and hips and things, because if something goes wrong, uh, you don't have consultant cover here and consultants are very slow to take you if you've been outside the jurisdiction with a different consultant in a different system. So it's all very good if everything goes exactly according to plan. But if it doesn't, it is difficult to get the aftercare. And I have come across many people who have been in that situation, who have gone abroad or gone outside the territory to get uh, the care. And where there is a complication afterwards, it's very difficult because consultants aren't eager or anxious to take up responsibility because of indemnity and insurance um, for work carried out by you know some other consultant in a different area. So, I mean, people are better placed to get care as close to home as they can. And there are many private hospitals in the Republic of Ireland and they have capacity for this. And of course, it's now that is obviously there's a legal uh, stipulation there. And I, I'm hastened to add there are many, many thousands of people coming from the north of Ireland down to the Republic to the private hospitals um, getting work. Yeah, it's working, the, it's working well. the other way. And let's be honest, that Belfast are blind bus, there would be people listening to us this morning who would be blind, Jim, if they didn't get on that bus. They're that yeah. desperate. They are death that desperate. OK, listen, we leave it there. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for discussing this issue with us this morning. No problem. Nice to talk Good. to you. And nice Take to care. talk to you as well. Good morning to you. That is uh, Jim Daly. And Jim is the Chief Executive of the Private Hospitals Association. 0818 103 103. Bernie, taking your calls. Some of your thoughts coming into the programme. We were speaking about private hospitals and the role that private hospitals could play in trying to get through the waiting lists in this country that's just seemed to be growing and growing and with 85,000 cancelled procedures and operations since the start of this year they just get added back onto the waiting lists again uh, we're not even we're, we're not even running to stand still at this stage that waiting lists those waiting lists just seem to be growing and growing uh, a couple of people on about that one person is saying is querying about private hospitals and capacity within private hospitals because this listener says got private health insurance waiting since February for a follow up for my husband who is waiting three months to see a consultant with pensionist Patricia we pay four and a half thousand euro a year in order to have private health insurance and we can't get an, app- an appointment what are we paying all that money for I can tell you Patricia we are the opposite of what Jim Daly of the private hospital consultants was saying about uh, capacity on your programme this morning that seems an excessively long period of time when you're a private patient. I know I needed to see a consultant a couple of months ago and there was a delay and I just switched to another appointment. I wonder, is that something, even if it's a follow-up, you probably want to stay with the same appointment. I would keep chasing that down. That seems an excessively long time, particularly when you are a private uh, patient. And hi, Patricia, we had a family member who had a detached retina after a fall. The, The... the family member was told they would have to wait five years on the public system to be seen to. Uh, and then we asked how long would it take if it would, could be done privately and we were told, oh, you'd have an appointment in three weeks. It is completely wrong. We decided to go down the private route and it cost four and a half thousand uh, euro. But obviously on a detached a retina, uh, something had to be done and quickly. That's, yeah, it seems absolutely crazy that you could be waiting five years but when you come up with the money you can be done in uh, three weeks which is proving what Jim Daly is saying there is capacity there within the private hospitals thank you for your uh, for your text to 086 
103103. Uh, a couple of people have been on about Katie Taylor and the boxing match and her uh, little face of disappointment all over the papers uh, today. And as she said in her own words, uh, not how I wanted my homecoming to be. And that's what she said just as she left the waiting ring and she didn't obviously do, I think she was just probably too upset to do a press conference uh, afterwards. But a lot of people very disappointed. But I think nobody more disappointed than Katie Taylor herself. John O'Donovan was back on to us this morning. Now John had been on the programme last week about the Katie Taylor fight and he's some, some somebody that's very much against female boxing. Now, when I spoke with him on air, he's against all boxing. He just, he doesn't uh, agree with it being a sport, watching people punching the head off each other, uh, basically. So he was on this morning and he said, he's glad that Katie Taylor was beaten. Ah, John, I I don't know if you should quite go that far. Anyway, he says maybe now she will retire. He also feels she's not a good role model. Women fighting is not a good image for young people to see. Michael in Castletown-Bear disagrees. He says, what an an outstanding weekend of sports. And he kicks it off by mentioning Katie Taylor's performance in a gruelling boxing match, which where she was sadly defeated. But there will be a different result in the rematch. Just wait for it, says Michael. He also was delighted to see Mayo defeat Kerry, especially in Fitzgerald Stadium, which made the victory all the sweeter for Mayo. And then he said, yesterday, my heart is not the better of it. After two great hurling matches, Tipperary and Limerick, an outstanding match, spectacular skills shown by all players. It was awesome, says Michael. Give me hurling any day. Yeah, and the Tip Limerick uh, match has to be played all over again. And he also adds in at the end, let's not forget rugby. It was a great sporting weekend at La Rochelle to add to the mix. And it looked at one stage like Leinster were uh, going to do it. And then John in Cantork reckoned last Saturday's boxing match was the greatest fight ever to be held in Ireland and yet RTE didn't show it. Also, they couldn't show the court game a few weeks ago. Why are we paying a TV licence when we can't see our own sports on RTE? Well, we did deal with that, John. I don't know if you were tuned to us on Friday. We did deal with that because people were very upset that the Katie Taylor match wasn't being shown on RT. But as we explained, it's all to do with money. It's all to do with making money. And it went behind a paywall. It was not if you were if you signed up for a monthly membership, it was nine ninety nine. Uh, but if you signed up just to watch the match on Saturday night, it was going to cost you nineteen ninety nine. So it's it's all to do with money. So I don't even think it was offered to. Uh, to RTE those kind of boxing matches and it's not the only sport there are other sports as well they all go behind a paywall and now of course we're seeing the GAA following suit because they realise it's a way to make money they are of course putting some of their matches uh, behind paywalls as well 0818 103 103 and then we were talking about CCTV particularly with regard to trying to catch people who are dumping and fly tipping and the council's hands are still tied that they can't use the evidence from CCTV cameras because of GDPR and all of that. And that's an issue that still needs to get sorted out. But that's prompted a couple of texts and calls in about CCTV, including Martin in from Moy says, firstly, he agrees with Sean Sherlock that uh, CCTV should be used to catch people who are illegally dumping. But the problem Martin has 
is with people having CCTV cameras in council houses and when other council tenants ask for permission, they're told no, it's an invasion of privacy. He's wondering how did some council houses get permission in the first place and then others didn't. When he's contacted the Gardaí, the Gardaí say you are allowed to install CCTV, but the council are saying no. They say it's spying, but yet some have it and some don't. Having cameras pointed directly as at your home, I can't understand why this is uh, allowed. And then Sean in Mallow was on to say that he's noticed CCTV on the main N72 road. There's a camera at the crossroads. They have been put up by a private person and it's pointing out onto the road. How is that allowed? So I checked in what are the rules and regulations with regard to domestic CCTV and I checked with the Data Protection uh, Commission because they've had a number of complaints from individuals about neighbours having CCTV and what Martin is talking about, the CCTV is on Martin's premises you know, he, he reckons his house is also being uh, filmed so they say, if a householder has installed a CCTV system your it must only capture your own garden and driveway it can't capture any, anything else, if it does capture if it does in the example of a home or a garden or a public footpath or a street um, you have to comply with full data protection laws this and it follows there was a high court uh, case about images being captured on the street outside so compliance with data protection law requires a number of things including demonstrating that you have a lawful basis for having the CCTV system installed you're transparent about the system that you keep any personal data safe, that you only keep it for a limited period and that you comply then with any access requests are requests for erasure from affected individuals who you may have captured on your uh, camera and on your film footage. And if you don't, failure to comply could result in an action against you by the uh, Director of Protection by the Data Protection Commission and it can expose you to a claim for damages to the uh, courts by any affected neighbours or members of the public and that includes uh, passerbys. So you can have them but the images that you put up are only meant to, as best you can, to capture your own property including your garden and your driveway and if you also because the cameras you know no matter what way you turn it you're also going to catch part of the neighbor's garden or the public uh, footpath then you need to be very careful with how you 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 keep that information and any requests from people to erase that you must uh, do there are quite strict laws there around it 0818 103 103 and here's a bit of a long shot we'll call this out for Billy from Art Patrick was on to us to say he met a lady at a dance he met her in Fremont and he met her again at a dance in Cashel but he didn't manage to get her telephone number and he'd love to get in contact with her he believes that she lives somewhere in the Fromoy area all he knows is her first name is Anne does that ring a bell did Anne go dancing to Fremont and also to Cashel and did you meet a lovely gentleman called Billy if you are the Anne that we, that Billy is looking to make contact with if you can contact us what we will do is we will pass you on Billy's number and it's up to you then if you want to make contact with Billy or not so I call a shout out for Anne who we think is from the Fromoy area well that's where Billy believes that she's from who went dancing recently to Fremont and Cashel and you got chatting or got dancing with I'm assuming Billy from 
Art Patrick, he'd like to contact you. 0818 103 103, lines open. C103 Jobs. A HGV driver is required for Kelco Transport there in Mill Street. Please contact Shane at 087 7730837. An experienced 360 excavator driver that's wanted for Canturk. CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. An experienced accounts administrator is required for Amber Lee Nursing Home in Formoy. Now, it is a full-time position and it does come with an immediate start. Call 025 40900. And Munster Drone Services, they're recruiting for an office administrator. Now, it's a full-time position. It's based in Mill Street. The CV and a cover letter, please, to hr at munsterdroneservices.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Opinions, not to me. Court today on C103. Now, my next guest this morning is a talented journalist. He's a historian, he's an author and he's a photographer. And he's decided to combine all of his skills and he's produced what I can only describe as a magnificent book called The Blackwater, History and Images from the Irish Rhine. Bill Power from Mitchellstown, as I say, joins me in the studio. Good morning to you, Bill. Good morning, And Patricia. it's always a pleasure to have you in studio your 16th book would you say your best to date probably yeah it's, it's hard for me to say what's the best or not but it's certainly from the reaction it's getting it's, it's incredibly positive and I think it's the kind of book that appeals to everybody whereas other books I've done have been quite specialized in some respects this is this is a very broad sweep and you can kind of pick and choose what you like in it you know yeah because it's informative there's there's a history lesson in there and then there's the photographs Yes, and, and that's the thing about this book. I think there's been about four books done on the Blackwater over the last, what, 180 years. But this is the first one that's using photographs of the river. And I think when you look at the book, you begin to realise this river is absolutely stunning. And most people don't know it. Yeah, hence the reason, the Irish Rhine. The Irish Rhine, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a term that was popularly in use in the late 1800s up to the early... 1900s um, now you could kind of laugh at that and say oh well you know it's because they never saw the Rhine yeah. but the comparisons were the beauty and the number of big houses on the river um, and you know there were cruise steamers travelling from Yale to Capuquin every summer from about 1860 until 1912 Yeah and people would be completely unaware of that What is your fascination with the Blackwater and where did that fascination come from? Because you have you have a passion about it. Oh, I do. Yeah, um, it's it's probably uh, well. My my first connection with the river was as a fisherman, a trout angler, when I was a lot younger than I am now. I don't fish anymore. That makes you really aware of the wildlife in the river, because uh, you know fishermen are more concerned sometimes with seeing things like owls and bats and various things in the river in the evening time. That's maybe part of it, but also it's the just the sheer scale and beauty of it. There's no two parts of the river the same. Um, you, you go up to the source of the river and it's, you know, you just can't imagine that 160 kilometres later you have this incredible river. Um, and I, I think it's, it's probably the most beautiful and most unappreciated river in Ireland. Yeah, and that's what, that's what I really think that you're, you, I hope that that's what your book uh, w- will achieve. I suppose for people outside the area, just explain where it runs through and, and we were just chatting before we came on air. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to say where it begins and where it ends. It, it, it is. Well, 
there, there's a we know where it starts at least. It yeah. comes out of a bog, just about two hundred yards inside the Kerry border. And um, it literally is a bog. It literally is a bog. Yeah. And there's a photograph at the start of the book which shows it emerging out of the bog. Now there's a big um bridge on the site now which wasn't there when I started the work. It was put there for wind turbines. And then you come down to Doctor Sale through Belly Desmond. Um, you it, it's the border of Cork and Kerry for quite quite a distance there. And then of course it turns you're coming into Mill Street, Cantor, Bantier. Um quite a lot of villages t- touched on or parishes touched on. Then of course you come to Mallow, which is the first really substantial town on the river. And Mallow, um, I often feel the Blackwater is almost incidental to Mallow because it's all the houses turned their back on the river. Um, you've and that's unusual when you look at other towns around the country. Yes. Yeah. It, it, and they face do, the river. Well, well, it's to do with the fact that Mallow isn't a planned town. Yeah. Whereas when you get, you know, you, you travel down again, you know, Kilavallen, uh, Castro Roach, Ballyhooley, and then you come to Fermoy, where the, the town was designed to face the river. And, and um, I said at the launch of the book, that, that for, if I was living in Fermoy and I was a politician there, I'd simply declare Fermoy the capital of the Blackwater yeah. because it, it adopted the river. And of course, then, you know, bearing in mind a huge section of the rivers in County Cork, Waterford gets the credit for the Blackwater, but actually half the rivers in County Cork or over half it. And then, you 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 know, you're from Fermoy, you're, you're going down through the likes of uh, Ballyduff, Lismore, Capaquin, and at Capaquin, the, that famous bend on the river, yeah. that's where the Blackwater really comes into spectacular view. Um, I've boated it several times. Um, I boated the full river from, well, not the full river, the river from Lumberstown down to the source, and I've done sections of it several times. I've flown it from Yall to Belly Desmond, which was an experience in itself. And then, of course, you're, you're driving both banks. And for this book, because it started such a long time ago, um, last year in particular, I went back over all the ground again, just double checking. Sometimes things have changed, mm. not always for the better. Um, but, you know, I've tried to incorporate that into the book. And then you're telling the stories of the different yeah. places you go along, you know. And explain the layout and how you decided on the layout of the book. And I imagine, was there a lot of soul searching in that? The most difficult thing with the book is the amount of material I've had to leave out of it. Yeah. Right. Um, there, I've taken thousands of photographs of the river. I couldn't imagine how many at this stage. That's one element of it. Last year, I invested in a drone, which was the best thing I've done in photography in a while, because with the drone and from aerial photography, you can see the river quite differently. So I suppose really um, having gone through different approaches to it in the early days, I then eventually decided to write about what I liked, what interested me, um, so we'll say there's a section on the history of flying on the river. There's there's a section on Mallow relating to Sophie O'Brien and her accounts of Mallow because I, I think she was quite romantic about the town. And equally, Elizabeth Bourne wasn't so romantic. Mm. And, and they're two women I have huge interest in. Um, so the approach was to take what I found interesting and hope that would translate into a book. And hope that the reader well, would appreciate that. And uh, it, and it, re- it really has. And I was thrilled when I was going through it that your your Christmas stamp. Yes. Because we, yes. we we had uh, we were all very excited about your your Christmas stamp. That's th- that's the church in Mill Street, isn't it? That's the church in Mill Street. The Harry Clark window. Shout out to Sean Radley over there who uh, was at the great launch. Sean Radley. The great Sean Radley, absolutely great Sean Radley. Um, and you know, there's there's a little thing along the river. There's nothing written about the stained glass or the artwork along the river. 
And there's an example of it where you've got absolutely fabulous um, Harry Clark windows uh, or, or a window in Mill Street. But they're also down in Mount Mallory and there are also one or, one or two other churches on the river. Um, and I didn't confine myself to kind of staying within, you know, two feet of the riverbank. Yeah. If there was something that, that took me up a tributary or something that took me a little bit away from the bank, I put that in. And logically, I mean, the stamp will always be my connection to Mill Street and yeah, I'm quite proud yeah, of it. Yeah, you know? it's, 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 it's terrific. Now, people who pass through Fomoy will be familiar with the sculptures of uh, the monks. Yes. Uh, and you write about the, the Cistercian Order and their rich history. They have a very rich history on the river. Um, first of all, obviously, the Abbey at Fomoy was quite substantial. There's little, if anything, of it now left. It's It's completely under the town. But if you think of it, that's back in the 1200s. We still have Cistercians at Mount Mallory. Yeah. And it's a very long, and they started out in Rathmore. Um, they came there and then got land um, from the Keynes down where Mount Mallory is now. So uh, these religious orders, the Cistercian probably be the most influential, the most powerful of the orders. But you also had Augustinians, Franciscans, Dominicans. And of course, all those abbeys are gone now. Um, the, some might be in ruins, but... Um, Apart from the monks of Montmelory and the Cistercian nuns at um, uh, Glencairn, you don't have religious orders on the river anymore. Change of times. And mm. it's going to change more in the years to come, you know. Yeah. And those sculptures, God, I remember at the time when they went in, we were, the phone lines were lit up. Not everybody liked those. No. And, and I'm, you I, described them as like them. Somebody said, thought they were the Taliban, right? I, I remember the week <laughs> they went up, somebody came in to me and said, actually, my memory is that it was it was Tommy Baker and from Oye, the late Tommy Baker. Yeah. His, his, uh, his grandson launched the book for me on O'Keefe. Um, I, I remember Tommy coming into the Grand Hotel one morning where I was having coffee and said, did you hear the Taliban have arrived? And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I'm afraid the the term stuck with me. Yeah, I know. Um, I love art and I absolutely love sculpture, but that one just doesn't tick the I know, box. No, it doesn't for me either. It, no. it absolutely no. does. Every time I pass them, I look and think, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I was yeah. thrilled to see Donnerell Court. And actually today, as you're sitting in front of me, I just opened it up and it happens to land on uh, Donnerell Court. And of course, we were only last week celebrating the fact that the first floor has now uh, opened yeah. to the public, which is, it's stunning, isn't it? Donnerell is an enormous success story. Yeah. Um, and, and I have to say, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, one of the forgotten heroes of Don Red, in fact, I'd go so far as to say two of the forgotten heroes. One is Arthur Montgomery. Um, 
still alive and hale and hearty. Um, I'm actually going to call to him later today. And Seamus Crowley here in Mallow, both, both in Mallow. They were trying to do things with Donrell Court and Donrell Park when nobody was interested, when nobody had faith in the place. And I have to say that since Mary Heffernan arrived on the scene, my God, is she a dynamic woman and is she bringing funding and, and dynamism into the place because she knows how to get the, the funds together for it. It's a huge asset for North Cork. I, I think people don't realise yet even what, what it'll be for the, the area in, in the years to come, particularly when you think of what's happening with Anzac Grove Gardens. Yeah. That that's that's a relationship that's that's going to be very valuable um in the years ahead. You you know I, I did say earlier on there are some things that have changed not for the better, but that's certainly um, one of the stories that's for. And I, I I love to see these houses come back to life. And I mean, if you look just across the water in England, I mean, they make a fortune oh, yeah, out of yeah. opening up those houses and having right. tours of them. That it's a huge huge uh, tourism potential. And uh, and you know when when you think you. The castle in Mitchellstown could have gone down the same yes, route. Yes, and I mean, I, I've been saying pity. to people, there was a number of tremendous buildings um, in the area, starting in Chanbury Castle in Clawheen in County Tipperary. If you went in a sl- straight line from there to Galtee Castle and the Galtee Mountains, Mitchellstown Castle, Bones Court, mm. there were a number of very fine houses around Donrell which have been lost. And of course, you've, you've now got Mallow Castle as well as Donrell Park. Um, even the ruins of Cantor Castle, Seeing, seeing things like that, that's what tourists want to see. Um, and, you know, they're all part of the heritage and they're all the things that, you know, if you're travelling on the road, they're the things that will maybe make you stop and have, go in and have a look around, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the Georgian houses of uh, Kingston College in uh, Mitchellstown, I loved that picture of the snow. Yes. The one it was, yes. It's, and, of course, that featured on the, the DIY SOS programme at right. uh, Christmas. Just remind listeners of the story behind those. Well, the, the story of Kingston College began in the 1760s when the fourth Baron Kingston decided to build, and the phraseology was wonderful, an asylum for decayed gentlemen and gentlewomen as of the Church of Ireland by law established. In other words, you had to be poor, old and Protestant. Um, the, there was ultimately 31 houses created there. It's considered um, the finest square of Georgian houses in any, any small town in Ireland. Um, they are still governed by a, a board of trustees, mostly of Church of Ireland bishops. That's changed a little bit. But the, the requirements of being old and poor and Protestant are gone. Yeah. So there's people of all faiths and all ages in there and now. None. And none. And of course, the fabulous thing is that last year, Kingston College, uh, a number of Ukrainian families were, were brought in there and housed there, which is, is you know, it's so far removed from the original concept of the trust, but it's also wonderful that the trust moved with the times Fantastic. And, and did something really creative yeah. there, you know. And to see the excitement of those families uh, when they moved in. So That's Walter right. Raleigh features and you say he didn't introduce the potato to Ireland. No. Um, there's, I'm, I'm afraid there's the odd myths that will be blown yeah. in this book. Um, one of the things I've gotten into in, in elements of the book is going a little bit deeper in some cases, not in every case, but in some cases looking at the perceived myth versus the reality. And he's one of the ones where the myth does not match reality. He was and would have to be described as not the introducer of tobacco to Ireland, not the introducer of potato. He, at one point in his career, cut down seven and a half thousand oak trees on the banks of the Blackwater and left them rot on the bank because he couldn't sell them. Um, So he's an environmental disaster walking on two legs. Um, He's also uh, would have to be described as a butcher and a hater of the Irish. Mm. So he doesn't really come out of it 
all that well. History is unkind to him. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, I suppose the romantic thing of throwing the cape in front of Queen Elizabeth so that she wouldn't walk in the mud, that's nice. Yeah. But And maybe it did happen. But a lot of the other stuff, the, the Irish story hasn't been great it, with it, him, I'm afraid. It isn't true. And um, again, I've opened up on, on a page that I did want to talk to you about, and that's uh, Michael Flatley's uh, yes. uh, Castle Hyde. Um, he purchased, I mean, b- before Michael Flatley purchased it, you, you know, you say few people had heard of it except people yeah. living living in the area. Like That's he, right. He put it back on the map. He put it on the map. It, it was the home of the Hyde family. Now, their claim to fame really is that um, uh, Douglas Hyde, the first president of Ireland, he was one of that family, even though he was Roscommon. His, his family came out of uh, from Moy originally. Um, they went bankrupt in the 1850s and the house went through a whole load of ownership changes until Michael Flatley came along. Now, different owners did good things there back the years. But of course, Michael Flatley had the funds and the resources. And he certainly, I mean, I've been through the house once. Have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the, there's, there's some serious expense gone into there and controversial a, at the time as well when some of that was going on. But, you know, without these owners on the Blackwater, the reality is that many of these houses couldn't survive. They're, they're you know, the future of, of buildings is that they get a use, that somebody lives in them or somebody finds a purpose for them. If I think of, um, you know, a place like Castle Hyde, give that another few years and it was gone. Mm. You know, right man, right time. And um, I know he's it's, it's widely reported that he's been in ill health recent times. Yeah. And hopefully that's that's going well for him, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, when you think we've only just a couple of minutes ago spoke about Donnerell Court and the money, because that was let to that's go right. to Rack and Rune, you know. It, yeah, it's... it's and, and can I just add, the reason that Donnerell Court survives yeah. is that when everybody had abandoned it, specifically the state, Arthur Montgomery, who was living in Donrell, simply moved into the house. Okay, and so, I remember yeah. him telling me he moved the Wellingtons around the windows to give the impression there was somebody living there, which there now was. And the fact of somebody living in the house meant that the vandals stopped vandalising. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's a, that is a great point. It, it, it's a fantastic book. Uh, Martin Moore and Tralee says, best of luck to Bill on his new book. Bill is a fantastic uh, writer. Now, Martin, w- uh, where is the book? Because it, it's a gorgeous hardback. It's one of those times where I wish I was on TV and I could hold it up to the camera. <laughs> um, it's it, it, like it's just beautiful. Where did you get it published and where did all that uh, take it's place? Like, like most of my books, not all of them, it's self-published. So it's uh, all Mistakes, errors, and everything else is down to myself. Um, the it, it is available in bookshops like Phillips and Mallow, Handys and Fromoy, the favourite Mitchellstone. I'm still in the process of distributing distributing the book. It's quite a challenge actually because of the geographical space that I'm in. You know the the catchment of the Blackwater is over three and a half thousand yeah. square yeah. kilometers. You yeah, know, and every area, every yeah. area will will be interested in it. This is book sixteen. It is fantastic. Mm. I do think it is your best to date. Thank you. Is there another book in the pipeline? There is. Yeah. Um, I I'm as as soon as I finish one project, I'm already thinking of the next one. Um, I have a number of ideas. Even driving over this morning, um, I, I'm. I'm thinking, you know, those books need to be done on the nature of the Blackwater. Their books need to be done on the War of Independence and Civil War and the Blackwater. I may not be the one to write all these, but they do need to be done. And, and there are loads of stories to be told. And, you know, um, we're, we're all kind of proud of the parishes and places we come from. And I can see that with, with people looking at the book. You know, they, you know, if you're in Ballyhoodie, you're going in and Ballyhoodie. Yeah, you're straight away you, flicking through it. But then you expand out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I sort of hope that this, this book will not just make people aware that 
God, you know, this river is interesting, but maybe they might just go for a drive. Yeah. Uh, and my secret for driving the black water is you find the road nearest to the river and just drive that and just, and just that. hug it, you yeah. know. Yeah, that's um, good. And then your other hat, of course, uh, St. George's, the arts. St. George's. Well, church, how's it going? Well, in that, can I mention that I'm doing a talk there for Mitchell's Town Irish Society on Thursday night next about the book. So okay. that's, that's the this, shout out. This on coming that Thursday. One. This coming Thursday. Okay. Um, we had a fabulous concert there on um, Saturday night with the Lismore Choir, marking our fourth anniversary because they, they did the first concert for us. Is back it four years? Four years, imagine. Yeah. Where do they go? It feels like 40 sometimes, but yeah. And we'd make him in Clancy last week. And later on in the year, we're going to Red Hurley, Francis Black, Freddie White. We, we have a good programme lined up for later in the year. So, and you're up. It's all down to the team this week, and we I have to say that there's a really super team in St. George's. We, we, we're under pressure, you know, 48 hours of the day would be just about enough. But I we, know, you know, I know, I know yeah. you're doing so well. Joan and Fomoy absolutely loves Bill Power's books. Um, and she also agrees she doesn't like the three monks sculpture. What does Bill think of the one by Moore Park? Three scrawny cows on the <laughs> roundabout. They cost a lot of money, says our Joan in Fomoy, which could have been money better spent three scrawny cows well I would still prefer them to the three Taliban (laughs) (laughs) we'll take the cows over the Taliban any day (laughs) alright listen a pleasure as always Um, uh, thank you for that Um, and Mike in Bantry says hi Patricia what a lovely lovely uh, interview on the river uh, Black Water is there any castle in Donnerill is Spencer Castle in Donnerill well well, Spencer Castle yes absolutely in Donnerill and actually can I just mention this about Donnerill until um, 2019 it was always believed that the earliest evidence of human habitation in Ireland was 12,000 years ago. Yeah. Dr. Lara Cassidy, um, who was doing research on um, reindeer bones and various other bones found in Irish caves, uh, discovered that bones um, found in Castle Pooh Cave near the castle in Donrell um, had been butchered. These were mammoth bones, 33,000 years old. It is the earliest evidence of human ha- habitation anywhere in Ireland. And it was found and in Donnerill. That's in Donnerill. You know, th- these are these are the little things they've touched on in the book. The so yeah, gems. Castle Cook, the castle, and lots of other castles around there as well. Great read. Listen, thanks for that. Mind yourself, and we look forward to book number seventeen. Thank, Thank you, you very well. much, Patricia. Thank you. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. CBS Boys School in Charleville have teamed up with the Holy Family School and together with the Glenahalla Choir, pupils from both schools will perform a very special event tomorrow night. To preview the event, I'm joined by Michael O'Sullivan and Michael is the president of uh, CBS in uh, Charleville. Uh, Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And it's great to have you on the programme. Now, I believe tomorrow night's event has been in the pipeline for three years. I take it COVID stopped it going ahead, was it? Yes, we had a plan to go ahead in, it was May 2020. Oh. Um, but as you know, COVID intervened. But that, that hasn't stopped you and you've decided you're still going ahead with this event. Tell me what people can expect tomorrow night. Absolutely. Um, so we do hello Choral Society uh, joining us along with our school choir here in CBS Primary and also the choir from the Holy Family School here in Charleville. Um, so we have a, a selection of um, songs and uh, and so on um, prepared. They're actually up at the church at the moment. And is that where it's going to be held? It will, in the church here in Charleville. Now, is, is it a, a ticketed affair, Michael, or how is it going to work? 
Yes, uh, so we have uh, Sixes uh, concerts, so there's tickets for sale here in reception in CBS and reception in Holy Family, and also there are tickets on sale at the door on the night. Tickets are 15 euros each, or 15 euros each, that's right. 15 yeah. euros each, okay. And the Holy Family School, of course, for those outside of the area, it is a special needs school. Do pupils from both schools, Michael, really benefit from interacting with each other? Absolutely. Um, so we've had, we've also had a great relationship with the Holy Family School. We're lo- located next door here uh, on Baker's Road in Charleville. Um, so over the years, we have developed an integration project whereby some of our pupils go next door and work with the children at Holy Family School and also the Holy Family School children come over to us on different occasions throughout the year as well. Um, I think it's very important for you know, everybody in the, pu- in the community to work together yeah. and to involve everybody and so on. It's a win-win. It's, it's, a, it's a win-win for everyone. And of course, uh, Michael, the community of Charleville have had some devastating losses recently with um, traffic accidents. Are you yeah. hopeful a night like this will, will give people just a little bit of a lift? Absolutely. No, we need it here. The town needs us. Town, especially was coming from COVID and then the two the two tragedies in the last couple of weeks, um, people need a, a lift. Um, and one of those people that died, unfortunately, Margaret Lyons, was a, a bus escort in the Holy Family School as well. Um, so I suppose it's just, you know, it, it hits a little, a little closer to home as well. Yeah, um, poor Margaret, Lord, may she rest in peace. I mean, her, I think so many people's thoughts are going to be with Margaret tomorrow night because she'd have been there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of work, uh, Michael, has gone into this, I imagine, from, from you know, the Hollow Choral Society, the pupils and, and the staff. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's been a team effort. So... We have a, an organising committee made up of staff from the Holy Family School and CBS. And I suppose we've been working hard over the last couple of months uh, to bring the project to fruition. But I suppose also all our staff in both schools um, have been involved in preparing the children, preparing for refreshments and so on for tomorrow night and so on. So, you know, everybody's playing a, a part. Um, and that's, I suppose that's how we operate here as well. We've, we've, we've a great team uh, in both schools. And I suppose for events like this, Everybody comes together and we pull out all the stuff. Okay, so in the church in Charlotte tomorrow night, what time are you due to start? We start at half seven. Half seven. And I always say to people when they're going to an event in a church, uh, especially a concert like this, if you want to bring a cushion along with you, do. Because the seats can be a little bit uncomfortable if you're sitting there for a few hours. Absolutely. 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 We we look forward to seeing everybody there on the night. We've plenty of space. So we hope to to fill the church. Well, I hope hope you pack it out to the rafters and we wish everybody good luck with it. As you say, more so than ever. I think the, the good people of Charleville need a little bit of a lift and that's exactly what they'll get at this concert tomorrow night. Listen, Michael, good luck with it. Pass on my best wishes to everybody and good luck with it tomorrow night. Super, thanks. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That is uh, Michael O'Sullivan, who is the principal of uh, CBS in Charleville, ahead of that really special concert with the Holy Family School and the Johallow Choral Society. Good luck to everybody. 0818 Bernie is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 
to 103103. Uh, you can get questions in for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. She'll be joining us in the final hour of the programme. So if you have a question, you can get it in to us now. In the next hour, a lot of competitions to get through. We're going to be giving away a Fitbit that's in association with the Irish Heart Foundation. We're trying to get everybody to stay healthy by giving away Fitbits on the programme with an overall prize at the end of the week of a €250 Euro voucher for Hotel Kilkenny. And we've also teamed up with the Mallow Garden Festival, which is on next week, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals happening next weekend. And we are looking for a qualifier for that who will go forward for a draw for a €500 Euro voucher for Dulux paint. It's not just the paint, it comes with a colour consultation. All of that and more coming up after news at 12 midday. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And we have a brand new competition running right across this week. We've teamed up with the Irish Heart Foundation and we are looking for a caller now uh, to join me on air to play a very simple game. You'll have 15 seconds to name five things on a particular subject. It'll be nice and easy, I promise you that. And by doing that, you could win for yourself today a Fitbit. It's the Fitbit Inspire 3. And then on Friday, our five winners go forward to a draw and one lucky listener gets their prize upgraded to a 250 euro voucher for Hotel at Kilkenny. So would you like to win a Fitbit? If so, call me now uh, at uh, 0818 103 103. Bernie is taking uh, the calls and the whole idea of giving out Fitbits on behalf of the Irish Heart Foundation is to try to help us all to stay healthy by getting you to do a little bit of exercise and you can monitor it all on your Fitbit and be in with a chance of winning that overall prize of a night away for two at Hotel Kilkenny. So do you want to play for a Fitbit? 0818 103 103 uh, Caller 3 to get through to Bernie now uh, will join me on uh, air and reminder that the Irish Heart Foundation telling us two in three people over the age of 50 in Ireland actually suffer from uh, high blood pressure and actually on Wednesday I think it's of this week I'm going to be joined by Dr Angie Brown of the Irish Heart Foundation who will be offering words of advice when it comes to blood pressure and what we need to do and you know we all need to be aware of the number I think that's the the big one is that so many people are suffering from high blood pressure and don't actually re- realise it and the dangers then. So we'll be talking about that uh, with the Irish Heart Foundation as I say, we're going to be doing that on uh, Wednesday. But every day this week, we will be giving some prizes away. Let me go to our first um, our first competition entry for this week and it is Annette O'Connor in Liscarroll. Good afternoon, Annette. Hello, how are you? Is the sun starting to shine in Liscarroll? It is. It's a lovely day here. Yeah, it's breaking through now as well. Here it was very cloudy. Okay, would you like to win yourself a Fitbit? I would, Would for sure. Okay, and then also the chance of winning a a nice night away in Hotel Kilkenny. Okay, we are going to put on a clock, a 15 second clock. And you have to name five towns in County Cork. Five towns in County Cork. Okay, here we go. Charleville Mallow, Cantor, Coles, McCroom, 
um, melancholic bantry bandit. You've done loads, you've done loads. Well done, <laughs> Inigia. And you didn't need the 15 seconds at all. Sorry, I was pressing all the wrong buttons there. And <laughs> you will still let the 15 seconds go. Whoa, well done. Well, you've won yourself a, a Fitbit and you proved how easy it is. So well done. Thank and, you. and you go forward to the draw on Friday as well. Congratulations, That's Annette. Fantastic. Thanks very okay, much. Okay, bye bye, bye bye. That is Annette O'Connor in Liscarrel, our first winner in association with the Irish Heart uh, Foundation, who are encouraging all of us, please, uh, to check our blood pressure and to get it checked annually at your GPR uh, pharmacy. And you can find out more by uh, going to irishheart.ie and then we have a second competition we'll be giving you details of that in uh, just a moment and that's for the Mallow Home and Gardens uh, Festival can I bring in the community diary I've left I've knocked the bed off by mistake my apologies there but just up on our community diary for today bingo is on in Butterfant GAA Hall it is on tonight at 8 o'clock and they have a jackpot of uh, 4,600 euro and as we've mentioned the Duhalo Choral Society holding their spring concert tomorrow night in the Holy Cross Church in uh, Charleville and they're going to be joined by the wonderful choirs from the Holy Family School and CBS Primary School with proceeds on the night then going to both schools. Tickets are €15 and they're available at the door or they're available also at the CBS uh, School in Charleville. And Cork and Kerry Community Healthcare, they're presenting a free event on positive mental health for older adults and that's happening this Wednesday at 11am in Bantry Library no booking necessary Work today on C103 and we are having one of those weeks where I'm delighted to say we're awash with uh, competitions we've got a competition across this week with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals there's going to be over 20 200 exhibitors. There's incredible garden shows. There'll be free seminars running across the three days. The Vintage Car Show, that's always a huge, huge draw. And then, of course, Go Hungry because there's an artisan food expo as well. And about five million plants will be on display and uh, on sale. Now, free bus service will run from Mallow train service each day uh, if you opt to travel by train. And the Mallow Garden Festival runs at the Cork Race course it opens this Friday the 26th and then it's on Saturday the 27th and Sunday the 28th with C103 and we have a prize at the end of this week to celebrate the Mallow Home and Garden Festival a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint but it's not just the paint itself we're also sending along a colour consultant who will go into your house and help you pick out your colour scheme so we're basing all of our competition this week on colour so if you mix blue and red what colour will it make now this is by text only and we'll leave the text message service open for 10 minutes and then we will select our qualifier for today so blue and red mixed together makes what colour. If you know the answer, text or WhatsApp now 0862103103 and I say after about 10 minutes we will select our winner. Blue and red mixed together makes what colour? That's your, your be, and if you are today's qualifier you'll be in with a chance of winning that 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint. And while we are awaiting our entries there let me get to some of your calls. Still getting people in quite divided about Katie Taylor 
and is she a role model and people not everybody agreeing that female boxing they don't like the idea of uh, female boxing and of course that was kicked off last week by John joining us on the programme very much against female boxing but then when I got talking to him he's against boxing He's just not a fan of boxing and feels that it shouldn't be a sport. Somebody says, Patricia, what is wrong with that John, your listener, who came out this morning and said he was glad that Katie Taylor lost. Katie Taylor and Kelly Harrington are great ambassadors for Ireland. Remember, it is in boxing that Ireland wins the most medals when we go to the Olympics. Where would we be without our boxing? What about rugby, says this texter? I think that's an awful game. And there's a huge amount of injuries when it comes to uh, boxing uh, matches. Um, Yeah, that's a a valid enough point. Uh, Somebody else is on, not a fan of boxing, not a fan of Katie Taylor or... Uh, Conor McGregor doesn't like to see fighting at all and thinks it's a very bad, that it's not a sport. Someone else says John is right. It simply is not a sport. 0818 103 103. Another listener is interested in people's thoughts on Michael D. Higgins and what Michael D. Higgins said at the weekend about refugees um, and housing refugees this listener says he's a gas man, isn't he? And he living in his big house, Ors on Uchtarom, with all of the accommodation to boot. Plus, there's a very large garden where tents could be erected safely to take people off the streets. And he could have his two big dogs. Well, his two big dogs are down to one because one sadly died. They're rambling around the ground. So unless he helps out, he should jog on said this uh, listener who was commenting on the fact that Michael uh, D. Higgins at the weekend said that we the Irish we have a moral and an ethical responsibility to welcome people in need from around the world and of course he went on to compare what's happening with the refugee crisis in this country to the Great Famine. The President, now he was in fairness speaking at the National Famine Commemoration in County Donegal yesterday and he said and I quote, the parallels with Ungurt Moore and the mass displacement it caused 175 years ago for this country must not be lost on us. We have a moral duty and we have a great opportunity to continue to honour our commitments to those vulnerable and displaced who seek asylum and refuge on our shores. And he was speaking at the workhouse in what was the workhouse in Milford in County Donegal, part of the National Famine Memorial Day. And obviously that's a day that's held in memory of all those who suffered and all those that died during the Great Famine. And of course, all those who were forced to flee the country and to build a new life uh, abroad. Um, the He spoke about the lives of more than one million people who died and the two million people who emigrated from Ireland between 1845 and 1852. They were all honoured at the ceremony. Michael D. Higgins said it was an honour and a privilege to join with fellow Irish people to commemorate what he called the tragic event imposed on Irish people with what we refer to as Angertha Moore, the Great Hunger, the Irish Famine. And then he went on to lay a wreath at the workhouse. He unveiled a commemorative stone and he helped a students plant a tree. He said, we must reflect on the best lessons 
we might take from such a recall and how it might influence our contemporary lives today. Well, there's one listener is against that. But it's when you say that, you know, he lives in this big house, Horace and Uchtaron, and could he not be housing refugees? I know there was talks and uh, President Michael De Higgins was in favour of housing some refugees. And obviously he can't make the decision himself. I'm assuming he would have to go to the government. And I know certainly it was being uh, looked at. I don't know if the grounds around Horace and Uchtaron, which is in the Phoenix Park, isn't it? whether that's been con- been considered to house tents or not but somebody says that's what should happen 0818 103 103 I mentioned earlier this morning that there's talks of the government giving a little bit of a tax break to workers and many people will say not before time this, the so-called squeezed middle who often say that they are being forgotten about with the cost of living uh, crisis Jim says Patricia the government talking about giving a little bit of help to Middle Income Ireland with a tax break. But if they were doing their jobs properly, they would force the energy companies, i.e. the likes of the electricity companies and the gas providers, to reduce their prices and to reduce them now. That way, everyone in society would benefit both houses, people living in their own homes, but also businesses. It was has previously been stated that using the excuse of the electricity companies and the gas providers purchasing on the future markets. That has long since expired. Kind regards, Jim. And I think that as well, that hedging where they buy into the future, I I think open up your books and show us that you did hedge that far ahead. I'll be with you on that one, uh, Jim. Someone else says, Patricia, yes, on the run-up to the budget, uh, everyone on every description will be looking for some kind of a tax break and some bit of help from those billions that the Exchequer has on its books. And I can assure you it simply will not satisfy everyone. However, the surplus exchequer funds that are available, says Michael, should be used in our rural infrastructure, roads, etc., that would benefit everyone, not just the chosen few. If you had a good road network, look at the longevity it would give to cars and trucks and other vehicles. The cost of garage repairs would fall dramatically, uh, which can cost thousands of euro every year. And that's that is including tyres. People would gain far more economically and financially by having a decent road infrastructure than any other ideas I have heard. And that's from Michael. I think a lot of people will agree with uh, Michael on that one. 0818 103 103. We mentioned CCTV cameras. We were talking about that. We were talking about GDPR when it comes to a CCTV on trying to catch people who are fly tipping, etc. But that then led to some people who were talking about CCTV cameras on their houses and some people don't like the idea of the neighbours having it pointed and they feel that they're being, their garden has been filmed or part of their house is being captured on the CCTV. Somebody says, Patricia, I have CCTV in the front of my house. So I actually had trouble with a neighbour last year over my camera. I had an email from the Data Protection Commission and they say my camera is not doing anything wrong. I live on my own, so that's the reason I'd CCTV put in. It's for a little bit of uh, security. And then someone else is make, more is making the point, if one of those who are complaining about a neighbour having CCTV that might capture part of their garden or part of their house, if they were broken into, wouldn't they be delighted if the neighbours caught whoever broke into their house on CCTV says Maura so I take it from that Maura would have absolutely no problem with her neighbour having CCTV 
on her house as well because it could actually yeah I, I, I'm with you more I would see it as that as well I don't think anybody is going to be I'm not going to be getting up too much outside the front of my house that I'd have my neighbours snooping on me so I kind of agree with you on that one 0818 103 103 Patricia you haven't mentioned Patrick Keelty hosting the Late Late yet on the programme I haven't but <laughs> I was planning to it's got to be the best kept secret it was finally confirmed at the weekend but I'm already seeing some of the doubters are already uh, out now in fairness the former Late Late Show presenter Pat Kenny uh, he's picking up on and this is what everyone is picking up on on Patrick Keelty the fact that he's not going to move to Ireland I mean there was talks I think people thought that if he got the job himself and Cat Dealey would move the two children and would live in Ireland. But Patrick Healy has now said no. He's going to remain with the family in England and he's going to commute for the Late Late Show every Friday night. Now, Pat Kenny uh, says that it, he says, right, it won't be as good as if Patrick Healy was living in Ireland full time. But he does says it's doable. He plans to t- travel to and from his London home where he lives with his presenter wife, Kath Dealey, and they also have two children. And he'll travel to Dublin every week then to film The Late Late. Of course, The Late Late is filmed uh, live. Pat Kenny, uh, who was the face of The Late Late Show from 1999 to 2009, he did it for 10 years. He said while the commuting may have its challenges, He's, he doesn't think it's going to impact the role and he doesn't think it's going to take from it in every way. He makes the point that there's a lot of planning in the late, late, but you can do a lot of that planning remotely, didn't we all? Wasn't that all proven during the pandemic? He said it won't be as good as being in Ireland for the whole week, but he said it definitely is doable. And he pointed out, Pat Kenny pointed out something that I wasn't aware of. When Gay Byrne started the Late Late Show back in 1962, he was commuting from Grenada in Manchester to Dublin. I was unaware of that. And Pat Kenny said on one occasion he got fogbound in Manchester and the plane couldn't take off and somebody else had to take over the presenting of it. But he's making the point that, you know, how many planes get cancelled uh, now? And I think I read that the plan is that he'll fly in on a Thursday and he'll be here for Thursday prepping, obviously, and then here for the show on uh, Friday. He is going to have a mad dash back, though, because when he confirmed that he was going to be the new presenter of The Late Late Show, he also confirmed that he's not giving up his BBC Radio 5 live show, which is a radio show that he presents every Saturday morning and that's on at nine o'clock in the morning and the BBC confirmed that Patrick Keelty will be continuing with his five live show which is at nine o'clock out of the BBC studios and broadcasting house and that's on at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning so he certainly is going to have a mad dash back. One RTE source is was quoted in the Sunday Independent yesterday as saying people have wondered how tuned in though Patrick Keelty can really be to the Irish conversation if he's not living here all of the time. Ryan Tuberty, the source made the point, has conversations every single day with people who work in the dry cleaners, people who work in the local grocery shop, the butcher, the people who are in the supermarket, people who are in the taxis and he's very connected with what's going on and how people are feeling and you know that source within RT is saying will Patrick Keelty have that same feel because of the fact that he won't be living 
in this country. So your thoughts welcomed on that. 0818 103 103. You can stop texting us on our competition for the Mallow Home and Garden uh, Festival because we want to close off the, we want to close off the lines on uh, that uh, so that we can open it up for Annalise and we will get Bernie to select our qualifier for today. For today on C103. Huge reaction to our Mallow Garden Festival competition. I take it a lot of people want to paint their houses. This is a terrific prize. We'll give it away on Friday. €500 Euro voucher for Dulux Paint with a colour consultant. We'll pay a visit to your house to help you pick out your colour scheme. We ask the question blue and red when you mix together it makes purple the colour purple there was a great movie called The Colour Purple and our winner from a huge 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 entry is Mary Ellen Ahern of Broadford in Charleville congratulations Mary Ellen Ahern Broadford in Charleville Mary you are our first qualifier uh, of the week and you now have a one in five chance of winning that 500 euro uh, voucher and the Mallow Homes and Gardens Festival happening at the racecourse in Mallow May 26th 27th and 28th and we'll do it all over again every day this week and actually talking of the Garden Festival somebody sent in a question earlier that I don't have the answer for but I may be able to get the answer uh, tomorrow because we'll be doing an interview with one of the organisers and gardeners involved in the festival uh, tomorrow but Mary wants to know um, planning obviously on going along to the Garden Festival at the weekend and is wondering will they accept cash at the gate now they always traditionally did but you're right to check because so many places now are going card only so we will check that that for you uh, Mary I'll get Bernie to make a note of that question and we'll find out when we're we're talking about the festival tomorrow on the programme if I can get more details for you on uh, that Uh, Hi Patricia Um, this is on uh, Patrick Keelty I don't know how tuned in Tubbs Ryan Tuberty was to the plight of the lad on the dole how the plight of the lad on the dole is doing when he is was on well, he won't be now after dropping out of the late, late, but when he's on um, 400,000 euro a year, it's a staggering sum of money, isn't it? To do, what does he do? One hour a week on the radio and then the two hours of the late, late. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I can never work out how they justify wage packets uh, like that. Anyway, uh, so this is saying, when you're on that kind of wage packet, how do you understand the plight of somebody who's trying to live on uh, the dole? Also, as far as Patrick Keelty and his Saturday morning radio show, could he not do that remotely from Dublin? She didn't pack any to his radio show from his house for two years during the pandemic, yeah, as, as did a lot. But as far as I know, he's going back. But yeah, it would be possible uh, to do it uh, remotely. I just don't know what flights he certainly wouldn't be able to get a flight after the show that would get him to the airport for a flight to London. They don't leave that late. Would he be on the first flight in the morning at six? Is there a flight out of Dublin at six? Would get him into London by seven. God, it, it, it really will be pushing it fine. Anyway, the devil will be in the detail. Maybe that's what he's going to do. Maybe he is planning on doing it remotely, but he's certainly not moving the family for now. Anyway, whether that will change or not, uh, only time uh, will tell. Hi, Patricia. Patrick Keelty will be fine living in the UK and presenting the late, late. Sure, the politicians live in Ireland and what do they know about anything, says uh, this uh, texter. Um, also coming in, uh, Patricia, yesterday the Mail on Sunday gave de- details of the massive tax collection from 
the electricity and gas companies, hence the government's reluctance to tackle them on prices, says uh, Dan. Well, they are talking about windfall taxes, so they are talking about taking even more uh, money from them. And someone else says, is that not greedy of Patrick uh, Keelty? He's after getting this big job and he's going to continue on with the radio show. Would you not give up one? Well, traditionally, if you look back on the three presenters that we've had so far in what the 60 year history of the late late Gay Byrne was doing a radio show and he had the late late then there was Pat Kenny he had a radio show and he was doing the late late and then you had Ryan Dupperty he was doing a radio show and the late late and they were all doing week day shows Monday to Friday whereas Patrick Keelty just does that one show for the BBC I'm assuming he just wants to keep in with the BBC in case it doesn't work out could that be his thought pattern behind it um, I don't really know but like whether it's going to work or not I don't know Joan is thinking she can't see it working he won't be able to concentrate on his guests particularly if he's to dash off straight away after the show um, yeah but you see, but that's the point I'm making Joan I reckon that there won't be a flight late enough that would get him out after the show so he's either going to do it remotely whether the BBC will agree to that or not only time will tell or else he's going to go on a very early flight on the Saturday morning which will keep it really really uh, tight um, so as I say we're, go- we're going to have to wait we're going to have to wait and see and then and how it all works out and will he decide to move the children I don't know what age I know his children are quite young but I don't know what age they actually are uh, will he you know wait until maybe they get to an age for school or maybe he's going to wait give it a couple of years to see if it all works out for him and if it all works out and he's happy with it and the viewership figures are okay maybe then he will decide to move the family 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls we are looking for your calls for Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic. Annalise uh, will be joining us to answer all of your uh, questions and a reminder to you, as I say, we're just awash with competitions uh, this week. We C103, we absolutely adore uh, Rod uh, Stewart, so much so we're planning on sending one lucky listener along with a friend to see him twice. You'll go to Live at the Marquee on the 21st of June and then again a month later, packing your bag and you'll be heading to Marbella uh, to again see Rod Stewart on July the 21st. We've got flights, we've got accommodation, we've even got some spending money and all of the tickets, obviously, to experience Rod Stewart twice. You're listening across C103 weekdays for Rod's greatest hits. Every time you hear us play a Rod Stewart song or track, you got to get texting or WhatsApping to 086 uh, to 103 103 for your chance to win. That's C. Rod Stewart twice and it has officially kicked off today only on C103. Now let's turn our attention to nutritional questions. Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic joining me. Good afternoon, Jan-Lise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome uh, to the programme. Let me go straight in with a question that came in earlier today. Somebody said, could you ask Annalise, please, I've recently been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I don't really know a lot about it just coming to terms with it all what would you recommend what's best to take so rheumatoid arthritis is different from the wear and tear arthritis because it's where the body actually starts to attack the cartilage in the joints so your own immune system has gone rogue and the cells the t-cells start attacking the cartilage in the joint and that's what's actually causing the wear and the tear rather than just old age and exercise etc 
So when you're looking at the natural approach for managing rheumatoid arthritis, the first thing to do is to try and look at, see, are there any drivers that would be driving the immune system to be, you know, to, to have started attacking itself? And in my experience, an awful lot of people who have uh, autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or ankylosing spondylitis or any of those ones, they often have IBS as well. So it's like the immune system in the gut has been mounting an immune response to harmless foods maybe for quite a while. And then for some reason, then it just starts being oversensitive and maybe trips over into that autoimmune site where it starts attacking itself. So I'd say, gosh, I'd say, Patricia, maybe three and four people who come to me with rheumatoid arthritis have IBS. So that would be a big factor in kind of sorting out the drivers. I'd also see a lot of people who've worked around chemicals with um autoimmune disease so a lot of farmers maybe that have been spraying or people who work in factories where they're using chemicals hairdressers as well it's quite common it'd be interesting study to do actually to see what type of um you know uh hairdressers how how many of them end up with autoimmune diseases so if you remove the drivers like you're looking at possibly trying to figure out are there any allergies are there any heavy metal toxicities and then you use foods that support the gut and then that rebalance the immune system so specifically the ones for the immune system that are the brilliant and off the counter um would be the omega-3 fats you know you just get a very high dose of those and you're looking for ones that have a very high amount of epa so fish oils have both epa and dha they're two different types of fat and the epa is better as an anti-inflammatory and the dha is better for the fatty tissue of the brain so if you want something to protect your brain go for one that's higher in dha and otherwise for inflammation one that's high in epa and then natural anti-inflammatories like boswellia turmeric bromelain ginger these are all fantastic natural anti-inflammatories that can help damp down the inflammatory response in the body and can can you get it at any age yeah absolutely patricia um and as well as actually i should mention there's lots of other drivers as well sometimes it's triggered by a viral infection so i think that happened to my brother-in-law he had a very bad virus and that triggered a viral infection and of course diet and lifestyle have a big part to play as well so eating a very um, natural anti-inflammatory diet is a big part of it whether or not there's any food intolerances and that's kind of minimal red meat lots of fish um nuts and seeds huge amounts of vegetables Instead of white, go for brown every time, uh, but pack in those vegetables, even if you have to juice or soup them. And that really is one of the biggest things I see um, in terms of people getting a good response to try and get themselves into remission is cleaning up their diets. OK, Phil has noticed that her, just her left sh- shoulder is starting to get sore, particularly if she lifts anything heavy. What would you recommend? So now there's lots of things that could be, Patricia. Again, it could be your wear and tear arthritis, in which case you're looking at kind of collagen, cartilage. The UC2 cartilage is fantastic for um, for just plain wear and tear arthritis. Um, but it might also be a tendon. So tendons can become stretched and inflamed. There might even be little micro tears or even bigger tears in them. So for tendons, you're looking at things like um, homeopathic rotograv, but also things like turmeric and uh, boswellia are as great natural anti-inflammatories. Um, I definitely maybe advise going to see a physiotherapist or a physical therapist to have a look and see can they figure out what's going on. Because if that gets worse, it can lead to frozen shoulder and then frozen shoulder could take a year to resolve itself. So you want to try and stop that inflammation before it causes those kind of problems. 
Okay, Lizzie wants to know, is carpal tunnel syndrome hereditary? She said her older sister has it and now she's noticing that she's got symptoms. Um, It can be hereditary, Patricia, I suppose, like everything really is. But I think it's in in many cases, it's it's massively down to uh, circumstance. So I know one of the big factors for carpal tunnel is repetitive strain injury. So people who would maybe type a lot or work on a computer where they're working on a keyboard or people who chef. Uh, anyone who really uses their hands a lot, it's that type of repetitive strain is a huge factor. But one thing I have to mention and to be wary of, because I thought I had carpal tunnel because of numbness in my fingers, and both my mom and sister had carpal tunnel surgery, actually, to sort out carpal tunnel. But in actual fact, it came back for them very quickly, and the problem was with a trapped nerve in the neck. So for me, it's my neck always from an old car accident. It's my neck that causes numbness in my hands. So now when I feel it, I know I need to go and get my neck sorted out as opposed to it being carpal tunnel. So just maybe rule that out first. Yeah, don't immediately jump in and think just because it's in the family. Yeah, that's a, that's a good advice. John has, has a slightly raised iron count, a little high iron count is how he puts it. Uh, what should I take and what foods to avoid? So the foods to avoid would be the ones that are high in iron and they would be mostly red meat. Red meat is kind of the most freely accessible iron for us. We do get a lot of iron in things like uh, molasses, green leafy vegetables. You'll get some iron in grains and nuts and seeds, smaller amounts as well. But that's not as available for our system. So it's the red meat really that you need to be careful of. But with high iron, elevated iron, if it's not diet-related, it's mostly something hereditary called hemochromatosis, and he might be in the very early, milder stages of it. Um, but over a long period of time, hemochromatosis and elevated levels of iron in the blood will actually drive high levels of inflammation. So it can cause a lot of joint pain, and it might even increase your risk of heart disease and plaque buildup. And the key to actually managing that genetic condition is just to give blood or to be bled by your doctor Uh, every so often and that massively reduces the iron in your system very very quickly and is the most effective management of it. Could Annalise recommend anything for this viral flu that's doing the rounds at the moment uh, says a listener? Yeah well I think we're probably all very low in vitamin D because actually we haven't had very nice weather up until now. Now the sun is shining this week so get yourself out and get your vitamin D. But if you haven't been taking vitamin D for the winter, I'd certainly suggest as a very basic kind of immune support, take your vitamin C, your vitamin D and your zinc at this time because there is a flu going around. Um, It's often when we change in season and actually, Patricia, temperatures have been quite cold up until now, so we're having a late start. Um, Other things then that will be far more um, effective in the very short term would be things like echinacea. Um, I love the Dr. Claire Mucotone. I know you're a fan as well, Patricia, but I always have a bottle of that at home. And as soon as I feel anything starting, anything, and I mean a sniffle or a head or anything, I start taking that three times a day. And really, it nearly 90% of the time wards off everything for me. I haven't even had a cold so far this year, luckily. So if you can't get your hands on the Dr. Claire stuff, get some echinacea and start taking that as instructed on the type of bottle that you buy. And then, of course, Ivy Thyme is another lovely one that's available in every health shop for um, coughs and colds. And, of course, uh, make yourself drinks with honey, ginger, and put in a little bit of cayenne pepper or chilli as well, and that boosts the immune system too. Okay, a five-year-old child suffers repeatedly from constipation. Advice, please. Okay, so in the diet, Patricia, if you've got plenty fibre, and if the child is active, 
and if they're getting lots of exercise and if they're drinking plenty of water, then you shouldn't have constipation. So either they're um, intolerant to a food that's causing constipation or it may be that they've had a lot of medication for something recently like an antibiotic and that's disrupted the bacteria in their gut, which is related to patients. So for a child, the first thing I always recommend is the psyllium husk. Add it into their breakfast cereal or add it into a yogurt. But this is a soluble fibre and it's no side effects. It's perfectly safe. It just helps soften the stool. Because for kids as well, sometimes, Patricia, if it's a painful stool to pass, then it's psychological fear of going is also a factor. So softening the stool is very important with that. And foods that are good to help are kiwis, apples and pears. So stew them, juice them, put them in smoothies, whatever you can do. You could throw the psyllium husk in with that as well and give that to them with their breakfast every single morning. And if that doesn't resolve it um, and drinking plenty of water, um, then things like figs, um, syrup of figs can work well. Possibly giving the child um, a probiotic and a child friendly digestive enzyme would be another option to try as well. And if none of those work, then you really are looking at a food intolerance. So get the test done and take the foods out that are causing a problem. Okay, Joanne says she's living in a very stressful house at the moment. She's got a leaving cert and a junior cert uh, student. Tensions are high. What would you recommend for the mammy in this case to to keep her from biting her tongue? Yeah, I think everyone would benefit from the same. Oh, Patricia, I'd say uh, houses across the country. Yeah, it's nationwide. You're not on your own, Joanne. Absolutely. And I mean, kids are putting themselves under phenomenal pressure that, you know, their parents aren't putting them under now. They're putting themselves under. So I think everybody in the family would benefit from something like L-theanine. Maconta do a lovely L-theanine and L-ornithine complex. And the nice thing about this is that it actually does kick in very quickly for focus and calm. So it's brilliant if kids want to study and focus. It's great if they're going into an exam for two hours and they need to maintain their focus. And it's also brilliant for, you know, for quashing the exam nerves. And it's great for mum as well because of just that feeling of calm. So, you know, it's very safe to take up to a number of times a day. And it's also great at night to stop the busy body, busy brain. So that would be definitely the best. And of course, for everybody for stress, in the long term, ashwagandha and the B vitamins are a lovely combo. Um, stress Vida is a very nice, uh, supplement. We have a couple here on special in the shop, actually, Patricia. If people give us a call, we have a lot of exam stuff here. We can help people okay. out. Okay, and just very finally, somebody, I, I, this could be tied in with the fact that we've got a competition that we're running with the Irish Heart Foundation is trying to get everybody to know their, their blood pressure and to get their blood pressure checked uh, annually. Somebody wants to know, could you ask Annalise, what is the normal reading for blood pressure? This listener says, mine is reading 146 over 82. Is that normal? Do you know what the normal reading for? So, I think anything from like 140 is like ideal, I suppose, blood pressure is 120 over 80. Uh, 140 is still okay, but starting to move up towards the high. So that would be the intervention phase where if you actually start working on that, you can help. And it's things like do plenty exercise, drink plenty water, don't eat too much salt, but don't eat too little salt, you know. So it's fine to salt your food a little bit, Patricia, I think, but avoid salty foods like nuts and seeds and crisps and processed foods and all, this, all the, the shop-bought stuff that's already been cooked is generally very, very high in salt, so try and cook your own food. And then increase the amount of um, fruit and vegetables in your diet, particularly these ones for blood pressure. Celery, full of potassium. 
beetroot full of something that helps to broaden out the veins and arteries and that's really almost immediately effective for reducing blood pressure. So eat beetroot or have a beetroot juice every day. Um, increase the amount of vegetable across the board in your diet, Patricia, because vegetables are full of magnesium and potassium, especially the green leafy vegetable and they're great. And then supplement wise, I'm always a fan of the omega-3 fats because they keep the arteries and the veins and the capillaries beautifully flexible. So they're very responsive to kind of increases in blood pressure and you won't be stressing the heart as much. They keep the blood lovely and thin and they're also nice natural anti-inflammatories. And then things like magnesium, hawthorn and Q10 are all wonderful for blood pressure and to keep the heart and circulatory system healthy. Okay, thanks a million, Annalise. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, Amelia. That is Annalise Drisselle. And Annalise will put up the advice on her own website, as heard on the radio this afternoon, healthhubstore.com. Quick look through some of your texts, particularly on Patrick Keelty taking over the late, late, and the fact that he's now announced he's going to remain in his London base. Uh, Martin says, would they not have given it to an Irish person living here in Ireland and let them do the late, late show? In all honesty, there must have been somebody here in Ireland that could have done that uh, show. Hi, Patricia. I'd like to know who would be paying for Patrick Keelty's flights. That's from Pat and Kilmichael. I'm assuming he'll pay for it himself. Somebody asks, Patricia, have you any idea how much he's going to get and who will be paying for his flights back and forth? Uh, Well, I take it the flights will be paid for himself. Uh, Stephen says, uh, to be honest, Patricia Ryan Tuberty never did it for me. I found him too giddy. Nobody ever came near Gayburn. It's never been the same, says uh, Stephen in County Kerry. And then lots of people are saying private jet for Patrick uh, Keelty. Would that not be the answer? He could get a private jet that would get him back the night before in time for his salary, uh, in time for his show and his salary will be big enough. That would be very bad for the environment though, wouldn't it? Have him flying in and out on a private jet? Only time will tell. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. On to the Lampetricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. 